Good morning, everybody. It is good for us to be here today to worship God in spirit and in truth. We are happy to have our visitors with us this morning. And we welcome you and trust that you would see it fit to come visit us, visit us as often as you can. Today is the first day of the week and on this day we come to worship God. You have seen already we have sung from our songbooks and we have partaken of the Lord's Supper and now it is time for us to listen to God's words. Today will be my final sermon for the Sunday morning at Kingstown and I was thinking about what I should speak about this morning and I finally decided on Ephesians chapter 5 looking at the husband's relationship to his wife and the Lord's relationship to the church. So my lesson is entitled Husband, Wife and the Lord's Church. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, reading verses 22 and 23, which is our lesson text for today, Paul, as he wrote to the church at Ephesus, said to them in these two verses, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. The book of Ephesians is the greatest work that was ever done in terms of writing about the church. It is the greatest. The church was in God's eternal purpose. So says Paul in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. So that God originally had in mind the salvation of mankind. So he brought it into fruition in latter times. God's plan was illustrated in the creation of Adam and then Eve and the marriage of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He illustrated the church in so doing. Because when we look at Ephesians chapter 5, when Paul write about, wrote about the church, he said that he spoke a mystery, but he was speaking concerning Christ and his church. So that the church is an illustration of God's family. That, that is the husband relationship is an illustration of God's family, the church. The relationship of the Lord and his church and husbands and wives are similar in some ways. 
And we need to notice at the outset that both originated with God. That is, both the family, the husband-wife relationship, and the church, both originated with God. Adam and Eve were married in the Garden of Eden. So marriage originated in the Garden of Eden. And then God sent Jesus Christ into the world to die for the sins of the world. And the church came into being through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. The Bible also teaches that there were two Adams. One, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 45, was made a living soul, and the other was made a quickening spirit. That is, Adam, the first Adam in the Garden of Eden, was made a living soul, and the second Adam, that is Jesus Christ, was made a quickening spirit. In the creation of a woman, a deep sleep fell upon man. And in the, the, the creation of the church, Jesus Christ slept the sleep of death. He died on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. Ephesians 5 and verse 25. The Bible says that he loved the church and gave himself up for it. Also, the Bible tells us that there was a law of propagation in terms of the physical Adam. God had told him in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to about verse 28, that they should be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. So that Adam and Eve were instructed by God to propagate or to replenish the earth. In terms of the church, propagation is made possible through the gospel. When the gospel is preached, when people hear the gospel, when they believe and obey the gospel, souls are one to Christ. So there are a number of similarities in terms of the family, the home, and the church. But there are three significant lessons to be learned from the relationships of husbands and wives and the relationship of Christ to his church. Number one, the seriousness of submission. That's the first lesson. The seriousness of submission. The two verses that we have just read, Paul is saying to wives that they ought to be subject to be in subjection to their husbands as unto the Lord. In verse 23, he says that the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, and he is savior of the body. So wives ought to be in subjection to their husbands. Now, is this optional? Is this optional? It is not. It is mandatory, isn't it? So if your husband is not nice, should you choose or can you choose to disobey your husband and not be in subjection to him? Can you? Wives, can you choose not to be in subjection to your husband? 
Thank you. Amen. But this doesn't give, <laughs> this does not give the wife, the husband rather, the right not to be nice to his wife. You know, it's a tough sell sometimes that the wife has got to put up with a husband who is not nice. Nonetheless, it is the wife's duty to be in subjection to her husband. Bible tells us in the book of 1 Timothy 2 and verse 13 that Eve was created after God created Adam. So Adam came first and then Eve. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 13. But the Bible also tells us that women of all time were examples of subjection and submissiveness to their own husbands. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. Peter uses women of all time to teach our menfolk and our womenfolk also the art of submission. Peter writes in chapter 3 verse uh, First Peter 3, from verse 5, he says, From after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. And verse 6 says, Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters are ye, as long as ye do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. You know when I read this text, I always think about us today. You know we have so many classes in terms of uh, the family and seminars, how to behave towards our spouses. Did these women of old have these accommodations of classes and therapies and teaching them how to behave, how to submit themselves to their husbands or vice versa how to behave towards their wives I don't think so I don't think so but yet Peter says that in all time the women of old were obedient and in subjection to their own husbands was it that they trusted God more than we trust him was that was it that they are more in, in subjection to the will of God than we are today? That might be the reason. Nevertheless, Peter says that the women of old who trusted God submitted themselves to their husband. He uses Sarah as an example. But also, brethren, the other lesson that we need to learn from this is that the church also must be in subjection to the bridegroom, who is Christ. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom. There's a text we seldom look at. It is found in the book of John chapter 6, John chapter 3, sorry, verses 28 through 30. John chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. Where Jesus is called the bridegroom by John, that is John the Baptist. And in this text, John said from verse 28 of John 
chapter 3. Ye yourselves bear witness, bear me witness, that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. So he that hath the bride, John says, is the bridegroom. So who has the bride? Is it not Christ? So he is the bridegroom. John said that he must increase, but I must decrease. As wives are to be subject or in submission to their husbands, so must the church also be in subjection to Christ. Because the church is his bride. This is a lesson that we need to learn. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he was not only writing concerning the relationship between husbands and wives, but he was writing also about the relationship between Christians and Christ. So that Christians, in order for us to have a congregation that is successful, that is motivated, a, con a congregation that is growing, a congregation that is spiritual, we must be in submission and in subjection to our head, who is Christ. Amen? We must be in submission to our head. That is the only way for this congregation to grow. That is the only way for us to be a spiritual force to be reckoned with. Preachers may preach from time to time, and preachers may strive to live to the best of their ability. But in the final analysis, we must all strive to become followers of Christ and obedient to Him in order for us to experience the growth, to experience the, the spirituality that we need in order to go forward in Christ. It is only by obedience to Him that we experience that joy and the spirituality that we need. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, brethren, Colossians 3 verses 16 and 17, and this is just to emphasize what I'm saying just a little further. In Colossians 3 verse 16 and 17, Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And then in verse 17, notice he says, and whatsoever ye do, in what? In word or deed, do all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Paul is saying here that there must be submission to Christ. It is not what Brother Joey says, or Brother Marvin, or Brother Jamali. It's not so much what we say, but it is what the Lord says that is important. Amen? 
And as a church, we need to grow to the point where we understand that we have a head and he is Christ. We need to grow to appreciate, just like the wives must appreciate that they have husbands and that they need to be in submission or subjection to their husbands. We need to grow to the point that we accept Jesus Christ as our head and be submissive to him. If we do not become, you know, if we do not get to that point, we will never grow as Christ intended for us to grow. The church must worship God according to the Lord's will. In John chapter 4 verses 23 and 24, the Lord said and Jesus said that the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For God seeketh such to worship him. He says, now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Then verse 24, Jesus said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we must worship God with the right spirit, and we must worship him according to his words. In truth means according to his word. Whatever we do as Christians, we need to do it with the right spirit. But we also need to do it according to the word of God. So if I preach something that is not according to the word of God, you need to tell me. Amen? You need to tell me. Because what I teach and what you believe and practice must be according to the word of God. Because that's how acceptable worship is performed. In spirit and in truth. The church must do the Lord's work. The church must do the Lord's work. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. And what else? Unmovable. And what else? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Yes. The evangelists must always abound in the work of the Lord, but so must the congregation also. So must the congregation. We all must work together and abound in the work of the Lord. And Paul says that our labor is not in vain when we work for the Lord. The church must live according to the Lord's will. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20. Well, verse 19, let's read verse 19 to get the context. He was speaking about the Gentiles and how the Gentiles live. And he says in verse 19, Who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But in verse 20 he says, But ye have not so learned Christ. The implications are that we need to learn from Christ and live according to the things we learn from him. Amen, church? We need to do the Lord's will. That's what we need to practice as a church, the Lord's will. The church that rebels against the Lordship of Jesus Christ is going to be lost eternally. The woman who rebels against 
the authority of her husband is not going to make it to heaven. Because the Lord says, through the Apostle Paul, that women, or wives rather, should be subject to their own husbands. But secondly this morning, brethren, we need to look at the precious nature of purity. In verses 25 through 32 of Ephesians chapter 5, Paul said that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife, loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave uh, his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife. And they two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. So Paul is saying that Christ desires the purity of his church. You notice verses 26 and 27. Paul says that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. We are sanctified and cleansed when we obey the gospel of Christ. Amen, brethren? The church is sanctified. We are sanctified and cleansed when we obey the gospel of Christ. But we must continue to live a sanctified life. We must continue to live holy lives before God. And so he goes on to say in verse 26 or 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So that is the Lord's desire for the church, that the church should be holy and without blemish. Do not be surprised when you hear a preacher stand before you and insist that the church strives to be holy. Do not be surprised. Do not think that the preacher is trying to be over, um, you know, holy. That he's trying to suggest that we should be over much righteous. I think the Bible uses that term in Ecclesiastes about people being over much righteous. But he's not attempting to say that we should be over much righteous. That is a person who keep on saying, well I don't do this and I don't do that and I don't do the other. Like the Pharisee who went up into the temple and he was speaking about the things that he didn't do and he didn't practice. But the, the publican did not so much as look up to God, but he smote on his chest and he said, Lord be merciful unto me, a sinner. So we also need to be humble and look to God for help and strength in terms of living a life that is acceptable in the sight of God. Paul tells us 
in the book of Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 how we should do this. Paul says in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, he beseeched the brethren at Rome by the mercies of God that they present their bodies living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is their reasonable service. And then he says, be not conformed to this world. So that is the secret. That is the secret really. It is not that we are going to be sinlessly perfect, but we need to keep on striving to be perfect. Amen? So Paul says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So do not follow the world, do not allow the world to set the, to set the standards for your life. Because if you do that, God will never accept your life as a sacrifice to him. So it is important that the church lives a pure life before God. God has revealed in his word how we should live. In the book of Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. Titus second chapter verses 11 and 12. The apostle Paul, as he wrote to the evangelist Titus, said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Brethren, God desires the holiness of the body. And we need to strive to be holy. We need to put away from us all superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word of truth which is able to save our souls. Whatever the naughtiness is, we need to put it away from us. Because that is the only way we are going to be pleasing to God. You know, I listened last week to Brother Marvin as he poured out his heart and urged and begged us to put away enmity from among us. And he spoke specifically about hatred. And not only hatred, but he spoke also about bitterness, those two things. He urged us to put away those things from us. But we need to put away also sexual sins from among us. Amen? We need to put away greed from among us. We need to put away lying from among us. All the things that impede our progress as Christians, we need to put them away if we expect to grow. Because God, the Lord Jesus, requires, He wants the church to be pure. So how do I do this? How do I do this? What is my role? I'm speaking now not only as the evangelist, but as an individual. What is my role in terms of helping the next person to grow and to be the kind of person that God will have him or her to be? Turn me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians 6 chapter. Paul again, beloved Paul. 
chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. Paul said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fall, what should Brother Richards do? Criticize him. Cut him down to pieces. Am I right? If a man be overtaken in a fall, Ye who are spiritual should do. Restore such an one. In the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So this calls for humility. It calls for humility. I need to understand, Joel, that you could be in the same condition that I am. So you need to consider yourself. You ought not to jump on a brother, hold him at his throat, and begin to squeeze the life out of him. Now, when I speak like this, sometimes people might say, well, is he saying that we should not correct a brother? We see him in a fault. I'm not saying that at all. But it is the attitude that is important. Amen? The attitude that is important. Paul says, ye which are spiritual should do what? Restore such an one in the spirit of what? Haughtiness? Meekness. Meekness. Lest thou also be tempted. And then he says in verse 2, Bear ye, bear ye what? One another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Brethren, one of the things we need to come to grips with and understand fully is that all of us, every one of us in here who are Christians, are supposedly, I hope that we are all on the same road, traveling from here to eternity. I hope so. So if you and I are on the same road, the same way, traveling to eternity, and we see a brother falling off the road, what are you going to do? Pass him by, say, oh, I had to tell you so. And you leave him to fall? No. You try to snatch him. To hold him, to say, no, you're going the wrong way. Turn back, let's go this way, this is the right way. That's what Paul is saying here. That's the attitude we need to have, brethren. That is the attitude we need to develop. Of course. And I must also state the of course and the of course is if a brother or sister would not listen would not hear would not change would not turn from his wicked ways then the church must apply the disciplinary measures which the word of god prescribes amen we must the church not evangelists by himself but the church and it is something that the church must grow accustomed to. The application of discipline. If Brother Richards, and I say this so many times in my preaching, I will continue to say, if Brother Richards have heard he is spoken to and he would not repent, the church must apply its disciplinary action to Brother Richards. The church must do it. And if any other brother sins 
and would not repent, the church must apply its disciplinary action and disciplinary measures to any brother who fails to repent. Amen, church? We must do it. We must do it. Because if we do not do it, the purity of the church will not be preserved. But thirdly and finally, we need to notice the consecrated closeness, the consecrated closeness of husbands to wives and of the church to Christ. Paul says that a man should love his wife as he loves himself. That is closer than the parent-child relationship. That is closer than a parent-child relationship because further the Bible says that a man should leave father and mother and do what? He join them to his wife. So the husband-wife relationship is closer than the parent-child relationship. With a man leaving his parents' home and being joined unto his wife. That is indeed an extremely close relationship. In the same way, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ, he loved the church and gave himself up for it. He loved the church and gave himself up for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. And in, then in verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 5, we go over there, Ephesians 5 and verse 30, 31, and then we read on to verse 33. It says, For this cause shall a man leave his father, and mother, and be joined to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Verse 32 says, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he's speaking about the closeness of the relationship between Christ and his church. Then verse 33 says, Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So there is an extremely close relationship between Christ and his church. And that relationship is illustrated by the relationship which exists between a husband and a wife. In the book of Romans chapter 8, Paul speaks there about God's love for the church love for his people and he shows that God there's nothing that God would not do for his church having given Jesus Christ his son he would freely give all things with him that is with Christ brethren as we conclude this morning let me just say that Paul accomplishes two things in comparing husband and wife relationship to the Lord and his church he sets forth the ideal for marriage, the Lord's relationship to his church. So the ideal for marriage is the Lord's relationship to his church. And secondly, he shows the subjection, purity, and closeness that must be obtained between the Lord and his bride, the church. So those are the two things that 
the Apostle Paul accomplishes in his uh, chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. Paul used the marriage relationship to show the relationship of Christ and Christians. We can further see that in Romans chapter 7 verses 1 to about verse 4. He told them that they are freed from the law. That is the Roman Christians, they, they were freed from the law so that they might be married to Christ. Both marriage and the church are of God. But brethren, we have this wonderful and glorious opportunity to be a part of the Lord's church. Those of us who have husbands and wives in this congregation need to give God thanks for good husbands and good wives. We need to give God thanks for the wives who loves us and continue to take care of us. And those who are still prospecting, looking for wives, the need to speak to the older ones, both husbands and wives, and get some good advice from them. As a matter of fact, Paul taught that to Titus in Titus chapter 2. So speak to the older brethren and you'd get some good advice in terms of choosing a good mate. It is very important to make a good choice. Amen? It's very important because if you make the wrong choice, it could be almost hell on earth. Trust me, it can be almost hell on earth. So make the right choice. And as Christians, we need to strive to learn the lesson of submissiveness to Christ. We need to learn the lesson that we need to strive to move closer to Christ by obeying His will and doing the things that He has commanded us to do. If you are here today, you are not a Christian, I want to urge you to draw closer to Christ today by faith in Him, faith in Christ, believing in Him, by repenting of your sins, by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, and by being immersed in water for the remission of your sins. We have an invitation song that has been selected. And we'll stand at this time and sing if you feel such in any way, why not come?